Well, it was May 1st, or May 31st, excuse me, on 1889, a long time ago. The mountain regions of Pennsylvania had received in the last 24 hours 10 inches of rain. It's a lot of rain. The dam, the dam at Lake Conema could no longer sustain the amount of water that was coming down, and it burst open. The force of the floods of waters careened down the narrow passages there in the valley, reaching up to speeds of 40 miles per hour, heights of 60 feet, and the same volume output as the great Mississippi River. This would be one of the greatest American disasters of all time. The fledgling city of Johnstown, nearly 14 miles downstream, received what would come from those floods. And they had no idea the destructive force that was about to take place on their small city. The floodwaters devastated this steel town, taking nearly 2,200 lives, destroying 1,600 homes. And it caused, up in today's currency, a half a billion dollars in one small town. It washed debris and bodies all the way down the river, even to here in Cincinnati, nearly 350 miles away. One survivor recollected the roar of the floods as it came crashing through the city. He said, my ears were stunned by the most terrifying noise I had ever heard in my life. Others likened the sound of the rushing floods to that of an approaching railroad train. The force, the power, and the sound of the roaring waters are fearsome. We also now today live in turbulent times, and it can seem that the waves are crashing around us. The last two years especially have disturbed our usual way of life. We've seen pandemics, we've seen political upheaval, we've seen rioting, we've seen wars and rumors of wars. We can turn on our TVs and watch and wonder what is going on. Yet amongst the chaos, is God so great, they may ask? Is he really in control? At the end of the third book of Psalms, uh, from our scripture reading, as the book of Psalms is outlaid in different sections here, so at the end of section 3, in Psalm 89, as Kevin read, the Lord's cause was called into question as God's chosen people asked whether his steadfast love of old and faithfulness that he swore to David had gone. Psalm 89 made it look as if God's purposes might not be realized. He was full of wrath against his anointed, and the walls were breached. There was little hope at the end of Psalm 89, other than the psalmist states this, Blessed be the Lord forever. He said this despite the circumstances that surrounded them. Psalm 90, the psalmist intercedes for his people. In Psalm 91, the Most High offers assurances that he is our refuge and our fortress. The truths found in Psalm 1 and 2 are restated in Psalm 92. And by the time we reach Psalm 93, we see the sovereign king enrobed in majesty. It is sort of a victory celebration. That Yahweh reigns. 
And this narrative will continue for the next eight chapters. Psalm 93 is a short chapter. It's only five verses long. It is about the sovereignty of God. God's reign is a theocracy, which is a direct rule of people by God as king. Our king is sovereign. He rules over everything. There is none beside him. The ultimate fulfillment of this promise is the present and coming reign of our Lord and King Jesus Christ. It is a psalm of praise to our great God, and it answers the question we found in Psalm 89. There are three main points I believe that the scripture wants to convey to us today. Those three is in verses 1 and 2, the reign of the sovereign God. Number 2, the turmoil of the world in which God reigns, verses 3 and 4. And the third point, the characteristics of God's reign, verse 5. Verses 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. Majesty. What a, what a magnificent word. Majesty is dignity, authority, stateliness, and grandeur. Majesty is the dominant element that we find in many passages throughout the Old and the New Testament. It reminds us of uh, the prophet Isaiah when he entered into the throne room here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, And with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That's in Isaiah 6. Isaiah was overwhelmed and cried out, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Majesty links God's holiness and his sovereignty. And for the prophet Isaiah, it was overwhelming to see this majesty. This is one of the first attributes that we see in the first two verses. The second attribute that we see here is the power of God. So we've seen the majesty and now the power of God. Two repeats of the Lord being robed in majesty, and then he adds a third parallel. So he says robed and robed in majesty twice. Then he says he has put on strength as his belt. The NKJV says he has girded himself with strength. Both meaning the same thing here. God is indeed sovereign, and he's unlike a figurehead, king or queen. We see this. You know, maybe over in England, we see we think of the Queen of England. You know, she's just she's just a um, uh, a figurehead. I mean, she has really no authority or power. Our God is not like a figurehead, like the Queen of England. He is sovereign. He is absolutely sovereign. He has absolute control. His power also displays his majesty. 
And as the NKJV says, he is girding himself up with strength. He is preparing for action. He is not a God of inaction. He is a God of action. He does not sit idly by. So we've seen the majesty of God. We see the power of God. We also see the immutability of God. That's sort of a maybe a new word or a big word. Immutable is unchangeable. God does not change. The, the world is established is the word that is used here. It shall never be moved. God established the universe. It is under his control. We must have a creator-creature distinction here. We are changing as the creation, but God never changes. He has established the things of this world. Our human nature is mutable. It is constantly changing. The things we like or dislike, or as we grow older, we notice these changes in our own very bodies. One day the people are crying out as we think of the changeableness, the mutability of people, our human nature. People are crying out one day, What, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. And the next day, they're calling for Christ's crucifixion. We are a fickle people. We change. This should bring us some hope, though, some assurance that we serve a God who is never changing. He is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. Found in Hebrews. He is immutable. We've seen the majesty, the power, the immutability of God, and now also another attribute of God that we see in verse 2, the eternity of God. His throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. Isaiah 43.10b says, Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. There is no other. God alone. This is sort of mind-boggling for us to think about the eternity of God. He is eternal. There was no beginning. There was no end. It's sort of, we can't comprehend this as mere human beings, but we can sort of, uh, sort of take hope and know that he is eternal. And there will be no other, as Isaiah says. God's reign also has no beginning and no end. Revelation describes God as what? The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He spans everything. God can be trusted to remain as he reveals himself to be. He is to be trusted as we will not break, he will not break his own word. He's immutable. He's eternal. And we cannot escape the eternal nature of God. We can run if we like. Psalm 139, 7-8 says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The fact that God has firmly uh, ensconced in power and authority from old, he has been there forever, and the reality that he himself is from eternity past makes him the founder of reality and the prime mover. 
No one can claim priority over him. During the time of the Enlightenment, some ideas, the deists came up with the idea of a clockmaker. God was a clockmaker. He sort of winds up the clock, the universe, and then he just lets it set in motion. It does its own thing after God winds it up. This goes against what we read in Scripture. He is the prime mover. He is behind absolutely everything. He doesn't just simply put it in motion and allow it to go on without him interceding. So in the first two verses, we have seen the reign of the sovereign God in which he reigns with majesty, power. He does not change and he is eternal. Even though we know the reality that God has firmly established the world, we see an ever-changing world. This is the reality we live in. We see the changing of this world. Verse 3, the floods have lifted up, O Lord, their voice, their roaring. I remember my first experience going to the sea. We uh, took a trip to the west coast near San Francisco. I couldn't have been anywhere from eight to nine years old. And I was fascinated with a great big ocean. I had grown up on the plains of Colorado. The biggest body of water I have ever saw up to that point was maybe a half mile wide. So going to the ocean where as far as the, uh, my eye could see was just water was truly incredible. Well, I decided to go out into the ocean too and you know, see what, what it's like to go out into this, this, the depths of the sea there. Well, first thing I found out is how cold it was there in California, in Northern California. I didn't enjoy that much. But I also experienced the power of the waves as they toppled over. Here was a very skinny little boy going out into the waves and trying to go underneath the waves and run past. Well, one got me, and the power of those waves toppled me end over end over end. I literally thought I was going to die as those waves took me under. My family was laughing at me at the same time, but that is neither here nor there. One thing about waves and floods, as I had noted before in the story, is the sound. It can be deafening to hear the rush of the waters. Even during a rainstorm, we hear, you know, the rain crackling down. It can be deafening at times. Well, these voices, are the, the floods and the voices, represent defiance toward God, the Gentile nations that are defying God. Just because God rules everything by right, does not keep sinful men from rebelling against him. This is the tension we live in, the world we live in. We have a sovereign God and we have sinful men. This section speaks of great powers that seek to bring turmoil to this world, to reign over God, over his sovereignty. They lifted up their voices. The floods lift up their roaring. To the psalmist, this was overwhelming to hear the voices of the world. This also echoes Psalm 2, 1 through 3. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. To the psalmist, the roaring of the floods was threatening. 
much like hearing the roaring of the floods of Johnstown, we likewise can be overwhelmed by what we hear and see today. And that can shake our faith at times. Is God so great when we hear the roaring of the floods? But there's hope as we transition into uh, the next part here. Verse 4, mightier than the thunders of many waters and waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. The psalmist reminds us that despite the turmoil surrounding him, our God is mightier than the many many waters and waves of the sea. Matthew Henry had this to say. The unlimited sovereignty and irresistible power of the great Jehovah are very encouraging to the people of God in reference to all the noise and hurries they meet with in the world. So Jesus assures us to take heart. I have overcome the world. God lays claim over everything. He rules over it all. He is sovereign over it all. So though the floodwaters rise and the noise of this world can seem overwhelming to us, the psalmist brings us hope that our God is mightier. Let us examine God's reigns and his characteristics in in this final verse. Verse number five, the characteristics of God's reign. His decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Two characteristics of God's kingly rule is the kingdom of law and the kingdom of holiness and justice. The rule of law, Psalm 119.2 says this, Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. God's people are ruled by his word, the Bible. God can be trusted also to remain... Oh, I flipped to the same page. <laughs> we can stand firm knowing that he decreased our, uh, uh, his decrees are trustworthy. We can stand firm on the word of God knowing that it's true. In spite of what the world says, if it contradicts his word, we know it to be false. We cannot claim to be ruled by Christ unless we know what he has told us to do in the Bible. He also a rule of justice in his kingdom. Justice is often perverted in this world, is it not? And we see so much injustice. God is not guilty of either perversion or injustice. Verse 5 states that our God is holy. God calls us to be like him as well, to be holy. If we are not holy, how can we enter into his house? First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may dec- declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. So knowing these great truths, how do we apply God's word to us today? Well, first, we need to have an attitude of appreciation for who God is. We looked at four of his attributes, and there are plenty more. He is majestic and all-powerful, never changing any reigns. Knowing these things should bring the believer great comfort and great hope. When the roaring of the floods come crashing in, 
He knows the beginning and he knows the end. And he is in control. So the word of God says for us to not be anxious. The floods and noise of this world will surely come. So take refuge in the Almighty. The second point of application in Psalm 93 states that the world is established under God's sovereignty. But today as Christians, we face opposition and propaganda from places such as the media and our government against the teachings of God's holy word. Christians around the world face harassment, imprisonment, even death in some places. And we cry out, the floods, the floods. We should remember that God has ordained these trials, and they do not take him by surprise. We don't have a God who doesn't know what the future beholds, like even some Christians claim. He knows the beginning and the end. J.C. Ryle said this, By affliction he teaches us many precious lessons, which without it we should never learn. By affliction he shows us our emptiness and weakness, draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affection, weans us from the world, and makes us long for heaven. Our God knows, he can limit, he can restrain, and even use the wicked for his purposes. And finally, third application, for those who find themselves in rebellion to the sovereign God, this is a warning. You are like the floods that are lifting up their voices against God. You are in defiance of the Almighty. You cannot escape his grasp. And if you've rejected his anointed, you will surely know his wrath. The only way to be assured of salvation is through his son, Jesus Christ, the anointed one. The word of God says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I plead with you today, sinner, repent and turn to Christ before it's too late. Finally, in conclusion, Psalm 93 models the praise of God referenced in Psalm 92. By his almighty power, he has established the world and his throne. By his awesome glory, he shows himself mightier than the many waters. And by keeping his word, he assures us of his trustworthy character. Holiness is beautiful, and he will fill his cosmic temple with it. Is God so great? We can answer, yes, he is great. He is God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, Lord, we come to you with many questions, sometimes doubts, the things that go on in this world things that go on with us personally. Lord, we often question what is going on in this world. But we know as we look to you, we find assurances that you bring us comfort, you bring us peace. Even though we can't comprehend it all, we rest in you, O Father. Help us to continue to look to you, to be led by your Spirit, to cherish your word and build upon the firm foundation that is found in Christ. And Lord, I do pray for those who may be out there 
who have not bent that knee, who are a part of the flood that raises their voices in defiance to you. May this be the day of salvation for them. May they turn to you and repent of their sins. Now, Father, may your word ring true in our lives as we depart here today. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.